The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hello, welcome to the Big Blue Review Podcast. I am Dan Pizzuta, joined here by Chris Flum, and we are coming to you after Wildcard Weekend. This is, I guess, officially our first off-season episode. We had one last week that I guess was technically the off-season, but we were still talking about a regular season game, but this is the first time we just really have no Giants game to talk about. Uh, So we will be doing a little look back on some things that uh, happened over the past week. We'll also be looking at at a couple things that are going to be coming up. So first, I think we're going to start with going over some of what's been left by the Dave Gettleman press conference last week. He talked with the media at a press conference last week. To be honest, he didn't say a lot of interesting things. Uh, I, I don't think that's super surprising, but I think we are just going to go over a few pieces of that, what path the Giants might possibly be on based on what he said, and I guess how we feel about that possible path. You ready to take a look at this, Chris? Let's get to it. Oh, okay. So this this should be fun. All right. I think there were two big takeaways here of any kind of substance. He was not fully committed to Eli Manning in 2019. It was much less committed than he was heading into the season. I still don't think that means Manning is going to not be on the roster. I still fully expect him to be on the roster. But for like the first time, it did look like there was an opening where they finally thought, hey, maybe we need to figure out what is the future at quarterback. The other thing is that he said they did not sign Odell Beckham to trade him, uh, which hopefully that will just kill any trade rumors we might have had for the rest of the season. Because like from the end of the Dallas game until that press conference, there had already been like five articles in like five different places written about how Beckham could be traded again. So hopefully with Gettleman saying that, uh, that's done and we don't have to worry about that being a thing for the rest of the offseason. Those articles will probably randomly pop up still and there will still be the drumbeat. But they shouldn't. We've been over that. They are a better team with him than without him. And their likelihood of finding another player as good as he is, it's slim. 
Now with Eli Manning, that's the interesting part because Eli has been there almost as long as Gettleman has been around the Giants. And for him, and I think also possibly ownership and coaching to get to the point where they're at least entertaining the possibility of life after Eli is significant. Now that could also stem from the fact that, Hey, maybe Eli himself is starting to consider seriously consider life after football. And he took a beating this year. Maybe he is starting to think about spending more time with his wife and daughters rather than getting sacked 45 times a season. Yeah, it's possible. He, I think we brought this up in in the last show where he uh, he kind of left the door open, and then he he went on WFAN I think later that week and said he would still like to play, but then by the end of the interview he'd still kind of left the door open. I highly doubt there's going to be uh, a retirement of any kind, but maybe we'll we'll see that you know both sides might be realizing that 2019 is the last year one way or another and that is going to have to be a place where they now look at quarterback going into the future and and that'll shape possibly what they do in the draft now with the sixth overall pick when you look at that you see now there might be one guy worth going there which is Dwayne Haskins, but you know, who knows if that's you know the type of of player the Giants are going to want to look at, or if you know, there's someone who they like who might be in the back half of the first round that they'll have to trade back up into. That's, I, I think they're going to have to be more proactive, you know, looking at that position. And I think what Gettleman also said that him and Eli after that Dallas game ha- had a very long apparently frank talk about what the future was we don't really know what happened in that conversation but the fact that conversation happened kind of I think shows that both sides are are starting to figure out the reality of this situation at hand absolutely and the reality is that for the first time in a long time the future is imminent for the Giants whether they're ready for it or not they will be entering a new era of football, either next year or the year after. It's coming. Yeah, it is. We'll see how they go about it, because that part is is going to be interesting. That's going to shape probably the entire offseason and what the roster is going to look like in future years. I think one thing that was said that uh, probably is is not be a surprise, and we've talked about Saquon Barkley a lot on this show and and his value his value on the field, his value as a second overall pick. Someone asked him about about that question in uh, in the press conference, and his answer was, uh, I would respond to this by saying again, you've got to take the best player available. If you start reaching, you're going to get in trouble. I'll say it again. Uh, us taking Saquon was not a referendum on the quarterbacks. It was a referendum on Saquon, on the player he is, on the person he is. If, if I was in that situation a hundred times, I'd draft him a hundred times. I don't think that's surprising that Gettleman said that. Uh, obviously, he's he's not going to say, yeah, I should have taken a quarterback a year ago. He th- is not going to say that, at least publicly. Um, no. <laughs> I, I think the better question there, though, if I was one of the writers at the press conference, would have been, uh, do you still believe that you win the game by running the football and stopping the run? 
I think that would have been a better question to kind of see where Gettleman's head is. Uh, I think the sad part would be that his answer would still be yes. And after watching football in 2018, after watching the wild card games this past weekend, it would be hard for me to wrap my brain around someone still thinking that uh, and trying to build a roster that way. But I think that is going to continue to be something that the Giants are are focused on, something they'll still try to build the team around, and that too is going to impact what this roster looks like going forward. Absolutely. The, the question, I think, is whether or not the Giants' process has changed since last season. When we did our State of the Giants around the halfway mark, one of the big things we kept coming back to was how the Giants process came up with the result of a one and seven start to the season. And has their approach to the off season, their approach to free agency, evaluating their roster and evaluating the draft prospects with respect to their team, how it all fits together. Has that changed? Yeah, that's a good question. And I am not totally sure it has. <laughs> In terms of that, it's the question, yeah, is definitely if if they still feel the same way about their building process. And I think also a part of this is going to be how they self-scout themselves. And one, in their process, and two, in the players that were actually on the field. So I think one of the other takeaways in Gettleman's press conference is he was super down on the defense. But I think that was more in terms of of the talent on that side of the ball. And I think that is something we have talked about many previous yeah, times. <laughs> yeah. But it, it kind of felt like the way he was talking, it kind of pushed all the blame on the defense and that the offense was okay or even better than okay. And it was clicking and that was going to, you know, roll over to 2019, which is not a guarantee by the way, at all. And he seemed to put a lot of, of, really the, the failures on the defense. And I don't think that is fair to the defense at all. One, you might be surprised, but this Giants defense finished ninth in defensive pressure rate per Sports Info Solutions charting. So that that is good. Again, they were getting pressure. The sacks weren't always there, but we have also talked about this and I've written about this on the website that pressure rate is more indicative of future sack rate than current sack rate is. So if you continue to get pressure, you are more likely to get sacks in the future. That is something that can carry over. So that is something on the defensive side of the ball. And then also there's the continued talk about the offensive line. And yes, it was bad. Yes, it does need an upgrade. But the Giants finished 17th in offensive pressure rate allowed per Sports Info Solutions. There were five playoff teams that were worse than that this year. And four of them were better in passing DV which is football outsiders you know efficiency metric the offensive line was bad but that that can't be this like all-encompassing excuse of why the offense was bad there were many other reasons it was bad and there are other offenses in the league that are working around an offensive line that is worse yeah and that plays into why you know, my confidence for the future i am i have confidence in the giants coaching staff as it stands now you know i I think I would like to see maybe something done with the offensive coordinator job just because Mike Shula seems like a, he still seems like a little bit of an odd fit. 
there have been plays which I am almost certain were plays he designed just because they don't look like something out or anything out of Pat Shermer's offense. But I would like to see Shermer transition to maybe more of a CEO type role where he has his offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator. But that's for all for another show. As a whole, for the offensive scheme, it took Shermer a while, a while but eventually he did figure figure things out and make adjustments to reality. You know, the reality that, no, his offensive line wasn't very good, but also, no, it did not have to limit the offense. They eventually l- schemed around it. The last two games of the season were probably the best the offense looked all year. And on defense, I have no complaints about James Betcher's scheme. If the defense was at fault, it was, again, because of personnel, which is a front office issue, not a coaching issue. He did the best he could with the players available. And his best was the outcome wasn't great. There were a whole lot of defensive failures at the end of games. But like you said, a little little bit deeper stats are encouraging. One of the things you wrote in the lessons we could take from the playoff teams, or the lessons the Giants should be taking from the playoff teams, is that athleticism on defense is a good thing and i think that's something they need to work at which will help translate those pressures into production yeah so let's transition our conversation to to that uh so i i did write uh, over the past like week I, i've written two things of lessons we can kind of take away so one was lessons the giants could possibly learn from the teams in the playoffs and then also on monday i wrote just some takeaways from the wild card games so we just want to go over a couple of these some of these i i wrote with you know actual lessons in mind some of them were a little tongue-in-cheek uh, but i think one of the big things which which i do firmly believe in was was what you just brought up and it was actually the lesson from the Cowboys is that athleticism wins on defense the Cowboys were a bad defense for a very long time and then they had a shift over the past you know three years I would say of making sure whoever they drafted on defense was just a super good athlete. And now they have just a collection of athletes on defense. And they were ninth in defensive DVOA this year. And a lot of that was just because they were able to cover so much ground. So we've talked about Spark before on some of our college shows. And for those who don't know, that's just kind of basically, um, it's something that Nike came up with that is basically just a composite score of like all the meaningful combine stats. And this guy... uh, Zach Whitman kind of reverse engineered the formula uh, and figured it out. And he's been posting the spark scores, which kind of puts them in, in percentiles among NFL players online. So if you look at who the Cowboys have drafted over the past couple years, uh, Byron Jones had a spark score that was 99.9% better than NFL cornerbacks. They have Chidobi Awuzie, who was a second round pick in 2017. He was 97.7% more athletic than um, NFL quarterbacks. They just drafted Leighton Vander Esch, who was in the 97th percentile among NFL linebackers. So they started building uh, a defense there, and they're not the only defense that this applies to. There, there are a bunch more. Seattle has been a, a high spark team um, for been, a while. Yeah, what, say going back to the back to when the Legion of Boom first 
basically took over the NFL. They were drafting on Spark almost exclusively. Yeah, Kansas City has a lot of of very athletic guys, and and this is something that has just been a league wide thing. And and you see, uh, let's look at. I think when we can also bring in. Uh, to what the Chargers did over the weekend. And this was in one of my takeaways of, of the wildcard game. Uh, they played like exclusively with seven defensive backs on the field. So if, if you're doing math, uh, that's seven defensive backs and four of their defensive linemen. So they had four really uh, defensive linemen rushing the passer. And then they took to the the Ravens running game and they match speed with speed. A lot of defenses have gone against the Ravens who are so run heavy with Lamar Jackson and they've stayed in base or nickel with just one extra a defensive back, but they've get they don't have the speed and the Ravens were able to run past them. What the Chargers did against the Ravens is they had all these defensive backs on the field. They had at least three safeties on the field for every play and they were just able to match the Ravens speed. Uh, so when you look at that, uh, you should be building these defenses around speed. And I think the Giants have kind of done that. If you look at who they drafted this year, I mean, Lorenzo Carter was the top edge rusher by Spark. He was still a little raw in terms of of edge production. Uh, but the, when you have someone who is is that athletic, uh, that that's that's a good sign. So if James Betcher, I think, can can get a little more of his influence there, I think that could be a good step for the Giants going forward as they look to probably get some more talent on the defensive side of the ball. Oh, definitely. I I think, and definitely based on how Gettleman responded in his press conference, this is going to be a defense heavy offseason for the Giants they've they're drafting highly in a defense heavy draft you know we'll see what happens with the quarterback position but if they elect to not take a quarterback at sixth overall it is very likely that they will be drafting a defensive player and he's probably going to be a very athletic one it's unlikely that they will that there will even be an unathletic defender there to draft that's true that i think that is a good sign and and again we have been breaking some of these guys down on our our college and draft show uh but we said multiple times on that show how much of our evaluation is going to be in some of those numbers and that athletic testing so that is going to be something to watch out for as it goes forward but i i think that that was my my cowboys takeaway but i think that really goes to so many defenses that were successful uh, in this game. But I think one other takeaway uh, we saw, I, even from this weekend, um, is that the offense is so much more important than defense. Uh, if you have a good offense, it really does not matter how good or bad your defense is. So right now we have what, eight teams left in the playoffs? Yes. Five of those teams or in the top five of offensive DVOA this season. Zero of those teams remaining were in the top five of defensive DVOA this season. And I think we saw that in in a bunch of places. The Bears had the best defense in the league by 
far this season. Like, it was not even remotely close. But uh, their offense was not great. They were only 20th in offensive DVOA. Uh, Mitchell Trubisky was not great this season. And you saw through, like, the first three quarters uh, before they schemed some open receivers late in the fourth quarter. And he really held them back. And you cannot overcome that in a in a playoff game when that is your weakness. No. Anymore, a defense has to basically be good enough. You know, the Ravens had a great defense. And for a lot of the game, it looked like they might finish with negative passing yards because of just the... They just couldn't overcome the curveball that the Chargers threw them on defense it is somewhat encouraging that the giants did have the highest scoring offense in the nfc east especially considering they faced a tough schedule they faced a lot of good defenses yeah the actual quality of the offensive play isn't i i don't think as high as their status as the highest scoring offense in the division is indicative but that still is a good sign for the future, assuming they can capitalize on it. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm personally not going to put a lot of stock in the highest scoring team in the NFC East. That <laughs> really, honestly does not matter. Uh, people are going to continue to bring that up to make you think like the offense played well, uh, which it, it did not. Um, so it we'll, didn't um, burst. So. <laughs> Yes. So that again was, so we'll come back to, there's another lesson I had from the Chargers that big plays help more when there's down to down consistency. So the Chargers were one of the best big play teams in the league. It did not show up against the Ravens uh, uh, over the weekend, but during the regular season, they were one of the best big play teams in the league. They were fifth in big play rate, but they were also so much better from down to down, and they were able to move the ball consistently on plays that weren't those big gains. The Chargers were still sixth in success rate on standard downs, so the Giants were second in big play rate on offense, but they were 27th in success rate on standard downs. That is a split that you cannot really win with. That's sometimes going to give you a high variance, and on the top of that variance, that might turn out to score a bunch of points, but you cannot consistently count on that when you're playing that way. You need more down-to-down consistency in your game and that is something a team like the Chargers was able to do but something like the Giants that's why they the lows were so low on that side of the ball because they just could not move the ball at a consistent rate no and that's a that's an observation we made just about every week was how inefficient their offense was on a down-to-down basis Entirely too often, and this does go back to the offensive line, handing Saquon Barkley the ball was basically a wasted down unless he put on a Superman cape and turned it into one of those super explosive plays that he was far and away the best in the league at generating, but that's still not a dependable way to run your offense. And then they needed plays from Odo Beckham and Sterling Shepard to basically make up, pick up the slack from when they were only getting one or two yards on a run or the run was getting blown up for a loss or they were throwing the ball 
three yards behind the line of scrimmage and a defender was right there. That is an area where the Giants definitely need to take note, self-scout, and make a concerted effort to improve. It's just being able to stay ahead of the chains on an every-down basis, not just hoping that every third play winds up being a 20-yarder because you're facing a third and 17. Absolutely. And that's going to bring one other uh, takeaway I had that turned out to be uh, what I wrote before the playoffs started and is still a takeaway uh, from the games this weekend. That was from the Seattle Seahawks. And that lesson was a run for his offense can work as long as the quarterback is a wizard. And during the regular season, Russell Wilson was a freaking wizard. So Seattle was the only team in the league this year that ran more than they passed. They were efficient running the ball, but they got to where they were because Russell Wilson bailed them out on third and longs. And Russell Wilson was one of the best deep passers in the league. He was incredible on passes that went 20 or more yards in the air. He had the fourth highest on target percentage per Sports Info Solutions. He was first in yards per attempt, third in touchdown rate, and third in interception rate. Uh, He was throwing to Tyler Lockett, who was great, but his second most targeted receiver down the field was David Moore. Wilson was so good at converting when plays needed to be converted. Uh, That was true in the regular season. That ended up being true in the game against the Cowboys, but Seattle was so stuck in their run-run-pass mentality on almost every series that they didn't even give their quarterback a chance to win the game. And when you are so stuck on trying to, like, force your will and, and establish the run, um, that, that can be so detrimental to an offense, and it clearly was for Seattle. If they had let Russell Wilson pass more earlier in that game, they could have won that game in a blowout. Definitely. And now you start to see comments around that, you know, maybe Russell Wilson was the one holding the Seahawks offense back. And well, (laughs) I'll tell you what, I I love Eli, but I will trade you Eli for Russell Wilson straight up. If have it, if catering to Russell Wilson is Russell Wilson is the problem with your offense, trade you straight up. Um, whoever is saying that, uh, and that, that that's the one of the dumbest takes I've ever heard. Uh, if, if you think if you think Russell Wilson was what was holding back the Seahawks, Russell Wilson was the only reason that Seahawks offense worked. And and I saw that a lot after the game that people were saying, well, this was Seattle's identity throughout the entire regular season. That's what got them to the playoffs. No, it's not. Russell Wilson being Russell Wilson is what got them to the playoffs. Without Russell Wilson, their run-first mentality probably would have gotten them to where a lot of people thought they were going to be in the beginning of the season, uh, which was probably a below 500 record. Uh, Russell Wilson was so good during the regular season, and for them to not put the game in his hands um, is is crazy. And that's the detriment to to having uh, an offense that thinks that way, of being so conservative and thinking you need to establish the run, whatever the hell that means. I don't even know what that means anymore. I don't know what the point of it is anymore. And I, when you have a quarterback like that, man, just let him throw the ball. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There, there's really just not much to add to that. It, and in fact, we've we've gotten a little bit off base here. 
Yeah, a little bit, but I, I think that goes back to the Gettleman thing, where he still thinks that running the ball and stopping the run are the two most important things in football right now. And just, that's, it's not true. It is straight up not true. You do not win games by running the ball and stopping the run. You run when you're winning. So again, if you see any of these stats that Team X is is six and one when running back gets 20 carries, yeah, it's because they probably had the lead and they were running out the clock late in the game with the lead. That's how that works. Uh, we've also seen plenty of things w- when you bring play action into it. Uh, this was another thing we saw with the Giants. They wanted to run so they can use play action. Uh, that doesn't matter. You can run play action on the first play of the game, um, and it's going to work. Because defenders use the offensive line keys uh, to look at whether it's going to be a run or not. Not whether you gain seven yards on the previous run. That just doesn't matter. There's a piece on 538 right now that used some of the tracking data from next-gen stats and saw that linebackers will just, they'll react to play action regardless of when it's run or how many other play action passes were done before that. They're just going to react because that's what they're taught to do. But all of this kind of, it all comes back to to what the Giants think their mentality is going to be. And if they really think they're going to build this rush-first offense, then I have incredible concerns about what they think the offense is going to do going forward. Agreed. Running the ball, it, there's nothing wrong with it in and of itself. And it's perfectly fine to do if you can do it. But you also have to realize what the NFL is nowadays, what, how the rules have changed, how the rules encourage you to play, and basically the types of players that are coming into the league. The game is faster than it has ever been, and you should take advantage of that. Yeah, And as I said before, I do have confidence in the Giants coaching staff that they will learn the correct lessons. Right. So as for the coaching staff, I think that is that is a decent point because one popular complaint about Shermer during the year was he got away from the run game you know, too early in games and Barkley wasn't getting enough rushes. That I don't agree with that at all. I think he was smart to get away from the run game when he did, when it wasn't working. He was still getting Barkley the ball on passes. We can argue about the efficiency and and the design of those pass plays a lot, and I think we'll get to that in a second. But running the ball just to run it because you think you need to run it, it's a bad way to run an offense. It If it's not working, there's no reason to continue trying to force it. With those passes that go to Barkley, I think the idea of them are fine, but so I think we'll go to uh, my lesson from the New Orleans Saints was that running back targets do not have to be inefficient. I think if you look at how the Saints use Alvin Kamara and how the Giants use Saquon Barkley this year in the passing game, uh, they were playing two different sports. That's the best way to put it. (laughs) So I'll just go over this real quick. So 61.9% of Kamara's targets and 60.5% of his receptions were past the line of scrimmage. For Barkley, that was only 41.2% of his targets and 37.4% of his receptions were past the line of scrimmage. And the Saints had 
a positive expected points added on 58% of Kamara's targets. Um, that was only 38% for Barkley. That's just a, a huge gap in efficiency. The 20 points, 20% of plays is the difference there um, in positive plays. The Saints use Kamara way more out of the slot too. Just so many better routes um, and just better ways of using the running back in the passing game. And that's that's something I wrote when the Giants played the Saints. And it's something that the Giants really need to look at this offseason to uh, continue to get Barkley touches, but in ways that are going to put him in a positive spot and give the offense a chance for a positive play way more often than they did in 2018. Agreed. And I think looking at it as just touches is the right way to go about it. You see people asking, especially after Evan Ingram had such a strong finish to the season, well, how can the Giants possibly use him like that when they have Saquon Barkley and then Odell Beckham's back healthy? You know, there's only one ball. Well, if you figure they've got a minimum of 60 offensive plays anymore. It used to be 60 was what they planned for. That's now basically the offensive minimum. That's a slow offense. So if you figure you have 65 to 70 offensive plays, that's a lot of touches to go around. You don't have to run the ball 20 times and then throw it to Barkley another 10 times on, you know, little check downs and swing passes five yards behind the line of scrimmage, which I think at that point they're taking the uh, notion that those are an extension of the run game just a little bit too seriously. You know, you could... You could get him the ball 20 times total. You could target Odell 10 to 12 times, and that still leaves you 20, 25 other touches to go around to Shepard and Ingram and whoever else happens to be on the offense next year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that'll take us to I think the, the last lesson I think we can get to from as what I took from the Kansas City Chiefs is that a, a good scheme really helps everybody. So Patrick Mahomes uh, is really good. So is Tyreek Hill. So is Travis <laughs> Kelsey. It's Sammy Watkins was fifth among wide receivers in DVOA when he was on the field. Uh, these were all very good players. But what what Kansas City did and what Andy Reid did was was figure out where all of these guys are their best. And then in an insane thought figured out how to make an offense that has all of those elements in it and that is not enough teams do that which is crazy very few do that yeah it's insane so Patrick Mahomes threw into a tight window which is less than a yard of separation between receiver uh, and and defender on 12.2% of his pass attempts. That was the third lowest rate in the league. So getting someone who can sling the ball and getting him these wide open throws is something that really helped the offense. And then when you have Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and Sammy Watkins on the other side of those throws, that greatly helps the offense also. I mean, it, it certainly helps to have Patrick Mahomes. And I think one other thing is I, when you look at what the Giants are going to do going forward, especially at quarterback. I've heard the phrase, the Kansas City plan a lot, where you draft a quarterback and let him sit behind the veteran for a year. And sure, that works. But the reason I think that worked to the point it did in Kansas City is because they had Patrick Mahomes. If the Kansas City plan 
was with Mitchell Trubisky, the Chiefs aren't what the Chiefs are. I think having Patrick Mahomes and having that scheme for him is what made the Kansas City plan work the way it did. So just sitting a guy for a year behind Eli is also not just magically going to work because you sat him for a year. No. Yeah, something I've been saying, I'll, I, I have literally lost count of the number of times I've said, I have said this in posts and comments and all of that tweets all that coaching matters at the nfl level coaching matters as much as much if not more than personnel because there really isn't a huge gulf between an average team and a great team or a bad team and an average team so much of it is the coaches which coaches can put their play consistently put their players in position to succeed and also keep them out of positions where they will fail. And that's something Andy Reid is great at. That's something Bill Belichick is absolutely phenomenal at and has been since he was the Giants defensive coordinator. Yeah. And so I think we'll, we'll just see how that goes. And I think keeping both of those ideas Uh, In mind, going forward, as the Giants figure out what this offense is going to look like next year, it's going to be important. And and you don't just, your offense doesn't just look like Kansas City because you kind of followed their steps. So when I hear the Kansas City plan at quarterback, if you hear that, let the alarm bells go off a little (laughs) bit to know there was a little more to that than just letting Patrick Mahomes sit behind Alex Smith for a year. Is Andy Reid or Sean McVay coming over with this plan? <laughs> yeah, right. That That's just something to keep in mind as all of this goes forward. And obviously, as we look at these lessons, not everything is going to work for every team. But I, I think in, in general, uh, a lot of these are are just kind of guidelines you can look at and hope that there's something learned that that the Giants can follow going forward. So I think that's going to be all for this show. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you find your podcast. Rate and review, that does help us. Read all our work at bigblueview.com. Follow us on all the social media sites and all of those things. We'll be back later in the week with, with our draft show. We only have a couple positions left there and then we'll really start getting into uh, things like the Senior Bowl and and then really diving into these draft prospects. So we will be back with that on Friday. So thank you guys for listening and we will talk to you again soon. My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. Keep telling you, we're not Voltron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations, bears in video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Fullcast. It's not Voltron.